Amen. Don't you love singing those Christmas songs? Some are new or some are old, and man, it's, it's good stuff. We want to take our Bibles this morning, and we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 1. And as you're turning in, in that Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1, let me just say that tonight, in case it has not already been mentioned, I, I, I just I probably missed it, but uh, the, the business meeting tonight is going to be about presenting the, the budget for the coming year, and uh, you may need to know that, you may want to know that. And so as we look at Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, very familiar story. In fact, how many passages in the Bible really are about Christmas? Well, not as many as we preach on. You know, I think about my, to myself, at Easter time, we have one message on Easter, one message on the resurrection, and at Christmas time, we feel like We've got to rev up all, the, all through the month of December and preach on Christmas, which is a good thing, but certainly we're in that mood. Look at the way the church is decorated. Didn't they do a great job this year of putting all this together? And, uh, you know, you're here and you're wondering to yourself, well, you know, you need a word maybe of encouragement uh, today because really Christmas reminds us of so many great things that we want out of life. You know, even the lights around us, the decorations really lift our spirits in a lot of ways. We look forward to family, maybe family coming and, or we're visiting with family. And so we think about all the wonderful things of Christmas and all the joy that it brings us. And yet every Christmas, we know it brings depression to many as well. And now that we have COVID, we have tensions all around us. We have the tension coming out of an election and evidently it's, it's really kind of still going on, at least in Georgia. And so we're looking at all this and we think to ourselves, well, you know, Christians are in this world as well. And while we have a lot of great joy and peace that we go through in life, we also need to realize that we face problems as well. And some people outside, maybe outside of the church, think to, our, to themselves, well, those Christians just think that they have it made all the way around. But we also deal with different situations in life as well. And as we open up the Bible, uh, in fact, let me just say this. At the end of this uh, service, we're going to have a song. We're going to sing a song called, O Come All You Unfaithful. And, <clears throat> you know, that pretty much sums up maybe where all of us really are. Because we talked about last week about how we're either cold, hot, or lukewarm. And you think, well, okay, that was introspection. You know, I was really looking at myself and seeing where I really lined up in life. But I feel like I'm, I'm in that hot category. And you may be thinking to yourself, I have needs in my life, and I go to God with those needs. And so what about me? What about those who are going through the loneliness? What about those who are going through the heartache? What about those who are looking for our prayers to be answered for the great impossibilities of life? Where's the encouragement for us? Well, the Bible teaches us that the Old Testament characters in particular, and it says that about the Old Testament, but I would apply that to the New Testament as well, and that when we look at the character studies of so many in the Bible, they teach us something about God. It says we can learn from the lives of others in the scriptures because of what they have gone through. And so the Bible tells us, sort of like in a race, we're in a marathon type of race. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so Jesus says that we're in a race, and it's a long race. It's a marathon type of race. And so what if, what if we are running this race, 
We're going around the track and different Bible characters come out of the stands and they run a lap with us. What would they teach us? Well, I believe that what we would realize pretty quickly is that whatever problems we're going through in life, we want to know the answer to one question. And that is this, is God really with me? Is he present with me? And when you look at it, I look at and see three different questions that'll come up with our three Bible characters this morning. One, I really want to know, God, why don't you speak to me? Why are you silent? Why are you hiding, it would seem, from me? Well, Joseph has an answer for that. And, and then also Mary has an answer because we also want to know, God, are you going to help me? Are you going to come to my aid? I've been praying and praying and praying. When are you going to come to my aid? Mary has the answer for us. And then the Magi have also an answer to the question of, are you going to direct me? What do I do? God, what do you, you know, here I am. I feel like I'm, I'm in that category that I'm really following you. What do I do? What, how, do, how do I follow? What does it mean to really follow? Give me direction. And the Magi have an answer for that. So we're going to look into the Bible this morning, and we're going to be looking at these three characters, and they're going to tell us, above all else, that God is with us. In fact, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, Jesus came to die for our sins. Verse 21 tells us that. But really, the ultimate thing is that he would die for our sins. He would reconcile us to God. And therefore, we would have the sense and the presence in our life all the time that God is with us. And so let's look at it this morning. First of all, we're running the marathon race. And out of the stands come a, comes a bearded man by the name of Joseph. And it's unusual that he would speak. Because in the Bible, at least, there's no quotations from him whatsoever. It's almost like he's the forgotten guy. And maybe you feel that way today. But what does he have to tell us today? Look in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph. Now, betrothing, as you know, is a little bit more than engagement. In fact, it's a lot more. Everything has gone on in the marriage except for the ceremony itself. And so this is way beyond engagement. She was engaged to Joseph, betrothed to him. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And so we get the picture and something that if you have uh, been raised up here in America, you would pretty much know this, that Jesus, uh, you know, Mary was a virgin at, at, and she gave birth to Jesus as a virgin. And so you can imagine that conversation that happened between Mary and Joseph, Mary was telling Joseph, look, I know you love me. We're about to get married. I know that you, you, don't, you have not had sex with me at all, but I want you to know the angel came before me and appeared to me and said that I'm pregnant, I'm with child, and it's of God. It's of the Holy Spirit. You can imagine what went through his mind. On the one hand, he loved Mary. He felt like he knew her, knew she hadn't lost her mind. At the same time, he knew that this was really an impossibility. So what are you going to do about that? How are you going to handle that? Well, it says in the Bible in verse 19, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he was just, he was what you would call, he was as right with God as a person could be without knowing Christ, but just by Old Testament standards. He was a nice guy, he's a carpenter, he was faithful to the Lord, and it says that he was unwilling 
uh, to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So he, he was in a dilemma. On the one hand, Deuteronomy 22 tells us in the Old Testament that it is sinful for anyone to have sex outside of marriage. In his mind, evidently, that's exactly what happened. And, and certainly, the rest of the community was going to feel that way. And so if he went ahead and married her, not only would Mary be ostracized from the community, but he would be as well. In fact, the Bible in the Old Testament said she could be put to death, even though Roman law for, for really forbid that to happen. But we know that that happened occasionally. Look at Acts chapter 8, where Stephen was uh, stoned to death. Really, it was in a, in, a, in a rage, you might say, by the crowd. And so he was stoned to death, so it could happen. But he was in a dilemma that Mary, on the one hand, if he made a big deal out of this, would totally be ostracized from the community, begging, begging on the street, not knowing where her next meal was coming from. If he married her, he would be in the same situation. So how are you going to do that? You're trying to handle a situation where you love this woman and you don't want to hurt her in any way. So what do you do? You're in desperation. Some of you here today feel like you're in desperation. And Christmas just reminds you of that. Because what you prayed for last Christmas has not still, has still not come true. You're still praying for the same thing. Maybe two Christmases and three Christmases ago. And you say, well, you know, I just, it's hard for me to believe God even for the possible, much less the impossible. After all, there's a lot of things in our life that we're praying for that are very possible. And this really humanly speaking, was an impossibility. So Mary, what would Mary tell us today? Or what would Joseph rather tell us today? Joseph would say, God will let you know when the timing is right. When the timing is right. You say, yeah, but Pastor God, it just seems to be hiding sometimes. I just can't find him. One writer said, God kind of hides like children play hide and seek. I was just uh, visiting with my grandchildren, the ones in North Carolina recently, and um, my youngest, Judah, our youngest grandchild, you really have to keep him busy. You know what I'm saying, right? You got to keep him busy. So I said, well, let's, let's play hide and seek. Well, they live in a very small house, pretty small house, so there's only a couple of places you can really hide. But he was all enthusiastic playing hide and seek again. So he goes and hides. And so I kind of want to play along, even though I kind of know where he is, you know. And I say, well, is he behind the door? And I hear an answer says, no. <laughs> well, is he in the closet? No, I'm over here, Papa. And it's like God. God says, look, I'm hiding. I'm hiding to build some desperation in your life, to build a need in your life, to build dependence upon me. But you can still, I'm hiding, but I'm letting you know where I am. So the timing's not right. When is the timing right for God to speak? And I'm just not talking about speaking in an audible voice because the Bible tells us that this is the great communication tool of God, the written word of God. He has given us his will. He's given us a way of communicating to let us know who he is, how he operates, his heart, his character, his plan of salvation. He's He's tell, told us all these things already. And he speaks oftentimes, he speaks oftentimes through the word of God. And as he speaks, other times he speaks through prayer. But it's always in the right timing. What is the right timing? The right timing happens when God wants you to act. The right timing comes when God either wants you to act or prepare to act. 
someone, maybe it's a freshman or, or, or sophomore in high school, and they say, well, you know, I'm just praying. I, I just can't believe God's not telling me where to go to school when I graduate from high school. Well, the timing's just not right. Now, I'm not saying you don't prepare yourself for college, but if you were to get God's will for your life right now where you're going to go to college, that's all you could concentrate on. The timing would just not be right. You would be maybe over-prepared to even go. The timing's not right. So I ask you the question, are you willing to act on what God says? That's the question. When you're willing to act and you're waiting on the Lord, God is going to give you the answers when you need it. I know that in my own life, when I was called to the ministry, uh, I waited four months. I wanted to preach. I wanted to be called to the ministry. That's very unusual, but that's, that was my heart. I had an opportunity to preach at a, um, what we call it youth revival. And I come down, came down out of the pulpit and said, boy, God, that's, that's what I want to do. I felt the power of God in my life. I had to wait four months. And during that four months, my desire began to grow. I was no longer scared of what might happen in the future because I might have to, I don't know, be a eva traveling evangelist or, or maybe a pastor of a church with all that responsibility. All that scared me. But by the time four months were up, it didn't matter about all that. I just wanted to know what God's will was. And as soon as I knew, I began to make plans to uh, alter and change my, uh, my direction of education and moved from the University of Georgia to Cole Falls College to prepare for that ministry. God, Joseph would tell us, in running this lap with us, hey, relax. Relax, but don't relax. Keep seeking the Lord. Keep wanting to know what he is saying to your heart. Become more and more desperate, but relax in the fact that when the timing is right, God's going to let you know. All of a sudden, Joseph comes off the track, goes back into the stands where we are surrounded, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 1, with a great cloud of witnesses. And another witness comes to the forefront, and it's Mary, and she begins to run a lap with us. And we want to know in our own heart, God, or rather Mary, how do you know God's presence was really in your life? Tell me your story. Well, it says in verse 18 that she was with child, and it begins to talk about it a little further in verse 20. It says, but as consider these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, meaning Joseph, in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived of in her is of the Holy Spirit. You can imagine what was going on in Mary's life. Lord, I've told Joseph. I felt like you, I had to tell him, and I know you wanted me to tell him, but he didn't understand. He didn't believe me. God, when are you going to do something? It's coming to fruition. He's got to make a decision. And God made a way. As the same angel that appeared before Mary now appears before Joseph and lets him know when he needed to know what he needed to know. Mary says to us, he'll make a way. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 1, Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. You say, well, that's kind of preposterous, isn't it, Pastor? I mean, after all, uh, somebody be born of a virgin, do you really believe that? 
Well, dear friends, I do believe that. And, uh, but Joseph did not believe that until something supernatural happened to his life. The angel appeared before him. James Merritt would said this, said this, if Jesus Christ were not born of a virgin, then he had a human father. If he had a human father, then he inherited the nature of that father. Since that father had a nature of sin, then he inherited his nature of sin. Therefore, Jesus himself was a lost sinner, and he himself needed a savior from sin, just like us. Because the Bible says we inherited our sin nature, not from Eve, but from Adam, the seed of Adam. And if Jesus Christ was born of a man, of a man, then, of course, he would just simply be a sinner like us. And so, with the doctrine of a sin, sinless Savior, it had to be a virgin birth for all of us to know that Jesus was, is, and was, and always will be the Son of God, and he was sinless, and therefore the sinless one went to the cross to die on the cross for those like us who were sinners, and we could be saved as Jesus Christ rose from the dead. A necessary thing. And he, he said, look, Mary would say, look, God provided for me. I struggled through it all. And you think to yourself, well, yeah, but you know, the angel appeared to Mary and the angel appeared to Joseph. But you know, Mary still struggled with all of the wondrous things that were happening to her life. Remember the story in Luke chapter one, when, or Luke chapter two, when um, the shepherds came there at the manger scene and they were looking around and Mary was just uh, taking all these things in. Here's what she said. After all this happened, but Mary kept these things and pondered them in her heart, pondered them. It was almost too much to believe. But Mary would tell us today, look, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you, where you are, know that the faithfulness of God is there. That he will make a way for you as he made a way for me. As he made a way for all of us. As he is the door to heaven. As he is the shepherd that we, the good shepherd that we follow into heaven. As he is the way, the truth, and the life. As he's provided a way for me, he's provided a way for all mankind to be saved. He'll make a way for you to come through whatever trial you're going through. Lamentations, this famous passage, says the Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. God is always going to be there. He's always going to be faithful. And Mary would say, not only in his timing, but he is going to make a special way, if he has to, for you, as he made a way through the cross. And you say, yeah, but I'm, I'm really struggling I just don't believe some of the impossible things. But again, let's, let's concentrate for a moment on the possible things. There's so many things in your life that are possible, and you're praying for them. Can you believe God for the possible? For example, you're praying for your parents. Your pa other parents have been saved before. You're praying for your offspring, your child, to come back and be that. They're, they're the prodigal out there somewhere, and you're praying for them to come back. Prodigals have come back before. And so we know that it's difficult for man. It may be seeming impossible for us. 
But whatever is impossible with us is possible with God as God's done it over and over and over and over again. There was only one virgin birth. It was an impossibility. But many of the impossibilities that we have in life are very, very possible. And Mary says, as she's running this lap with us, you say, you say it's impossible. But the Bible says all things are possible. You say nobody loves me, yet I have loved you so much I've given my only begotten son. You say I can't go on, but God says my grace is sufficient for you. You say, you say I can't do it, but God says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You say it's not worth it, but the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that has been revealed to us. You say I can't forgive myself. But God says in 1 John 1, 9, I have forgiven you. And he's done that based upon the cross and the blood that was shed for you. You say, I'm at my wit's end. But God says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. You say, I feel all alone. But God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And with that last word, we finish the lap. Mary makes her way into the stands and we're joined by the Magi, the wise men. Now the song says there are three. The, the song says that there are three kings of, uh, of what, Orient, of, from the Orient. But actually there's no indication there are any kings at all. They were Magi. They were stargazers. And we don't know there were three of them. You say, well, the three gifts. Well, you know, have you given your child, grandchild, spouse more than one gift before? That means she has more than one husband. And so we don't know how many kings there were. In fact, um, we were talking to Jared, who's uh, now living in Boston, our, our middle child, our uh, youngest son. We were, uh, he's pastoring a church up in Boston, and we called him. We were unable to go and see him because they're, they're kind of locked down up there. But uh, I was kind of showing my grandkids around the house and how Pam is... Uh, decorated everything on, you know, on FaceTime. We were going around the house and showing everything. And Pam says, look at this, Jared. Do you remember this? And it was on a table. And it was these little uh, uh, things he made, a kind of a manger scene, really, and when he was younger. And it was very good, really good. I mean, I'm not just bragging on it, but, I mean, you know, very artistic. It was very well done. And, but there were only two kings because he got so tired of doing it, he decided he wouldn't make a third king, all right? And he reminded my wife, he said, you know, mom, the Bible doesn't say there were three of them. So it kind of got him out of it. But we don't know how many they were, but they're just coming around us. We'll just say for argument's sake, I mean, after all, um, this is just an illustrative story. We'll say for argument's sake, there were three and they're coming around us. What are they going to say to us? You've already heard how Joseph knows the presence of God in his life because he spoke to him. You know that Mary knows it because he's provided a way for her and answered all of her prayers. And she is blessed indeed. And now the Magi come. And it says in chapter 12, or chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is the one who has been born of king of the Jews? For we saw his star. They were stargazers. That's what they were. They were astrologers astronomers, and uh, they, they were looking up in the sky, and they saw something very unusual, so unusual, they knew the history books of the Jewish faith, and there was 
a, a child, a king to be born some, sometime when they saw a certain star. They thought, well, I think this is it. And so we saw a star and it rose and came to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And I guarantee you, if we had time today, you'd really understand why Jerusalem was troubled with him. When Herod got troubled, everybody got troubled. Very vicious leader. And assuming all, assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, ascertained from them what time the star appeared, appeared. And he sent them to Jerusalem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And we know from the rest of chapter two that, that was not the case, that he was, that was not his intent. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold the star that had seen when it arose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him uh, gifts of gold. That is a symbol of royalty. They're recognizing his kingship. Of frankincense, that is a sign of divinity. They're recognizing something maybe they didn't even know about. I mean, after all, you ask me, are these people believers? And they, no indication they were. God was speaking and using people that weren't even believers, at least at this time. So how much more can he speak to us? He says, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, that's pointing to the passion, the death of Christ, an embalming fluid, perfumed embalming fluid, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed their own country by another way. What would they say to us? They're going around this lap, say, well, one lap's just not enough to tell you what God did here. We were unbelievers. We were just out in, in, in the wilderness looking at the stars as we always did. Why us? God directed us, and he had a purpose for our life. And then when we went, man, we, we went to the wrong guy, and we, the wrong guy found out, Herod, and we were in danger of our own life because we knew by his reputation. Once, he, once we told him, where the king would be found, we would, our life would be done. And God provided a way for us to escape. They would say to us this morning, God will direct your steps. He'll direct you. God wants you to know his will. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Jeremiah 29, 11, for the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Look at your own life. Look how God has directed your life. Look at the people God has placed in your life in order to bring you even to this point. This point in which you do have a prayer. You do have a way that God can work in your life. This morning, you have a way because, because of all the people that have come in your life. You have a story, a story of how you were led to Christ. And the times God spoke to you, maybe through a sermon, or God spoke to you through a friend. 
And all these things coming together as God has directed your steps. Now, I know sometimes God can just lead straight through the Bible. Usually, it's, the Bible gives us a general knowledge of God and the wisdom of God. And from that, we can pray and ascertain what he wants us to do, the next steps he wants us to take. But sometimes he just gives us a verse. I remember when I was uh, thinking about going from University of Georgia to Cold Falls College, I, I don't know, should I wait till seminary, just go ahead and graduate, wait till seminary to get trained? I don't know. And I ran across this verse in Proverbs that, that says to us in Proverbs 21, the horse is prepared for the day of battle. Well, I knew I wasn't a horse, so I um, ignored that verse. But God kept bringing me back to it and remembering it and remembering it. And he says, look, if the horse needs to be prepared for the day of battle, so much more does the pastor need to be prepared for the day of battle. And he led me through that. But when I came here, on the other hand, when Pam and I were wrestling with coming here, leaving a church that we planted, where we've been there almost nine years, we love the people, I, think, I believe they loved us, to leave to go to a whole new state, a whole new place, and living right outside of Atlanta, and when we moved here, the road that we moved on when we actually got called was a dirt road. It was paved by the time we got here, a month later. But the only place to eat here was Dairy Queen in the old location that later became a tasty freeze, that later became something else, and now I don't think anything's there. Burger King was just being built. Nothing here. And the wrestling that we went through and the prayer, but when the timing was right, at the last moment, God told us, this is the place. Is he directing your steps today? The Magi would tell us, not only is God directing your steps, but you need to know something that we know from personal experience, that as we leave this marathon race, as we go back into the stands, know this, that God is always with you on every single lap. I will never leave you nor forsake you. This morning, I want you to notice something that uh, maybe is in, a little insightful. And that is in verses one and two, we find that they only saw, saw a star, but when they got to Bethlehem, they began to ask questions. Where, 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 where? When they got to the Holy Land region. They not only needed help from above, but they needed help from other people too. They needed direction from God's people as well as help from above. But first and foremost, and ultimately, all the help we need comes from up there. Randy Alcorn was uh, sharing a story about um, a couple of friends of his had a plane accident in Alaska. Snow everywhere, cold wilderness, sitting there really with a wrecked plane. He and his daughter, Karina, got out of the plane and they noticed no footprints anywhere. Nobody had been there for a long time. And he knew that if they were gonna be rescued, they would have to go and be rescued from above. And dear friends, that is our hope, to be rescued from above. And before you can each actually apply any of what I've been saying to your life today, you can't be that, that cold that we were talking about last week. You can't be in the lukewarm stage. You have to be in the saved stage. You have to be in that, that circle where you've already received Jesus into your heart, that you've received 
the help from him. Now, I know that there's going to be times, like the Magi, unbelievers, who would be spoken to in some way for some special event. But if you and I want to know the presence of God in our life, we must receive him into our heart. And I want to invite you to do that today, whether you're watching on at home or sitting here today. Don't let another Christmas go by without you being a part of his family, without you being a part of that, having that born-again experience where the Holy Spirit of God comes, the same Holy Spirit that inspired and, and, uh, and did the work with Mary and Mary's life will do a work in your life as he comes into your life and heart, adopts you into the Christian family in heaven, and gives you an opportunity to run those laps with the greats, including God himself. With heads bowed and eyes closed, this morning, if that's the prayer of your heart, and those who are watching again from home, I would invite you to pray with me now. Last week, we had six different people to pray with me to receive Christ and indicate that on a card. I'm praying that that will be you today. Whether you're sitting here or whether you're at home, that you would make that decision to follow Jesus Christ in your life. And you can do that by praying this prayer with me. And you can pray it silently or out loud as I pray. And you just repeat after me. It's not the words. It's really not so much that as the condition of your heart, a repentant heart wanting to follow Jesus. Pray with me now. Lord God, thank you so much for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for me on the cross. And God, right now, I receive you into my heart. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I want to follow you. And I pray that you would, as you promise in your word, direct my steps, speak to my heart, show me the way at each stage of life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.